This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Nervous? Yes. First time? No, I've been nervous lots of times. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and you know, I thought Wednesday's crazy holiday was over the top, but get this, today's the International Day of Eggs. Think we're passing that one up? Oh, hell no. We are going straight after that one, bringing you a lineup of some of the uh, oh my God, best eggs in the financial commentary business to talk about advice. What's the best career advice we've ever received? Here to crack that topic, we welcome the host of the Beyond the Dollar podcast, Sarah Lee Kane. Plus, from Afford Anything, Paula Pant. And from LenPenzo.com, it's Sarah Lee. She makes the tastiest cakes. I'm just kidding. She's busy baking and tying on aprons. It's just Len Penzo. But that's not all. For our Friday FinTech segment, sick of your .02 interest rate at your bank? On today's show, we'll welcome a company working on that. From Frugal, say hello to Kale Pash. Lastly, for our Magnify Money segment, our roundtable will answer a question someone decided to leave on our answering machine. And now, a guy who thinks the chicken came before the egg, Joe Salciha. It did, didn't it? Wouldn't there have to be a chicken to be an egg? I think there would have to be. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Philosophy for the Win podcast. I'm Joe Salci. I have Joe Money on Twitter and National Day of Eggs, which Mr. Len Penzo, deep under Los Angeles. I think, is that your favorite holiday? You big fan of eggs? I do love eggs, actually. And they're, you know what? I was on a diet here for a little bit, believe it or not. And uh, one thing I found out is, you know, eggs are quite low in calories. Did you know that? Yes. You can have like. You can have like a three egg omelet and it's only like, I don't know, 300 calories or something like that. I was looking at that. Uh, or, well, for a while I did that Tim Ferriss diet, the one in the four hour body, mm-hmm. lots of eggs and lentils and beans. And I'll tell you what, it all tasted great, but don't stand behind me around 11 o'clock in the morning. It's just not, you know not what? good. And kind of related to this, my diet, I actually, I did the chicken soup diet. So chicken and egg thing, but, but uh, you can eat all the chicken soup you wanted. And uh, it, it actually it worked pretty good. I got sick of chicken soup. That's why I started going to the uh, three egg omelet. The chicken soup diet. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. All the chicken soup you want. Yeah. And I'm not talking Campbell's or anything like that. 
progressive. You got to make it. You got no, no, you got to make homemade chicken soup. You got to, oh, I'm out. If I got to make it. Somebody who I'm sure loves chicken soup. She's all the way back from Tokyo where I bet she had the chicken soup diet. It's Paula Pant. In Tokyo, I ate everything, including raw egg. So I was at breakfast this one morning and the waiter at breakfast is like, would you like an egg? And I said, yes. And so he comes back and he hands me a cold raw egg and an empty bowl. <laughs> and I'm just standing, I'm like, I'm sitting there, I'm looking at this and I'm like, what? It, it's clear that I'm supposed to crack this raw egg into this empty bowl. And when you're in Tokyo, when you're in Tokyo. Exactly. When in Rome. And you did? And it, so I did. Yeah, I, I cracked it in. And then I wasn't sure if I was supposed to slurp it or what, like, like, you know, like drink it like it's miso soup. But I looked around at what the other patrons were doing and they were dipping things in their egg, like oh. essentially using it as a raw egg dipping sauce for the rest of their breakfast dishes. So for that day and the next day, for two days, I uh, ate raw egg dip in Tokyo. Did you feel like Rocky? Do you even know what that <laughs> reference is all about? No? I know the famous montage of him running up the steps in somewhere in Pennsylvania. But isn't there another one where he's like eating the raw eggs before the... No? Probably. Maybe. I don't know. I've... I've never seen the movie. Yes, I don't know. That's a shock. I can't believe you've never seen the movie. <laughs> and he, I do know the famous montage. <laughs> that, famous. That, that is good. It's like she saw the cliff notes for Rocky. <laughs> and she's, she's yes. done, I know there's a fight at the end. I know he ran up the steps. And somebody who I'm so happy she's back here on our roundtable from the Beyond the Dollar podcast. It's our friend Sarah Lee Kane is back. Hey, hey, I'm excited to be here. See but up, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and you like what Doug did with the Sarah Lee reference there? Yes. And my nickname shall forever be cake until the day I die, I guess. Now, it was started in grade four. And um, yeah, it's just going to stay with me. Is that kind of cruel of a, of a fourth grade teacher to just call you cake? She thought it was a compliment thinking that, hey, she has a very famous name until all the kids started making fun of me on the playground. Oh. And, but you know, hey, it's all cool. I really enjoy their lemon pound cake. I don't see it in my supermarket <laughs> anymore. So if anybody wants to send me some, I'll uh, DM you my address. <laughs> it's That's the whole reason she's here is for exactly. lemon pound cake. That's it. That is, the, the bar is high, Sarah. Well, tell everybody about your awesome podcast, by the way, because I love taking you out when I run it's you, me, talking more philosophically about money. Tell everybody about Beyond the Dollar. Sure. So Beyond the Dollar focuses more on life transitions or major life events and how money plays into it. So we talk a lot about marriage, adoption, giving birth, not all at the same time, things like that, and all the important money things that come into it. Did you just clarify not at the same time? Yes. <laughs> Just in case anyone is confused. Marriage, birth, adoption, but not all at once. We we separate those. Do you guys ever talk about travel? We do. And I would love to bring someone on who lives in a tiny home and travels around that way. So if you know anybody, again, hit me up in the DMs on my Instagram profile, which I'm sure you'll throw out somewhere. <laughs> What's, what size suitcase do you need to be in one of those little homes? Good question. I don't know, but I imagine a very tiny one. I would bet that away travel makes 
phenomenal suitcases for tidy homes, Sarah. This episode of Stacky Benjamins brought to you by Away. I, I had to work for that one. Away makes first-class luggage at coach prices. It allows you to charge your phone on the go for 20 bucks off a suitcase. Go to awaytravel.com forward slash SB20 and use the promo code SB20. You know the number of people that have used our code to get 20 bucks off their suitcase? I love that. We were just in North Carolina with friends and traveling with Three other couples, two of those couples had used my code to get suitcases. You're welcome. It's fantastic. Can I try SB100? <laughs> you, you, you can, but I'm not sure it works. Yes. I, I will have to pitch in and say I brought an away travel suitcase with me on my five-week trip. I, I had it in Tokyo. Isn't it fantastic? Isn't it fantastic? They're amazing. Yeah. It is. Yeah, am absolutely. It is amazing. Today's uh, show is also brought to you by MetPro for your complimentary metabolic profiling assessment and a 30-minute consultation with the MetPro expert. Head to metpro.co slash SB. We got a great show today. We're already talking about cake, so that's good. We've talked about raw eggs, cake. The fact that Len Penzel love eggs. What else is there to do? We're going to talk about some of the best career advice we ever got. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. And our headline piece today comes to us from Inc. This is written by Jeff Hayden. Uh, 40 years ago, a Netflix co-founder's father gave him this handwritten list of eight rules for success, which he still keeps beside his bathroom mirror. Netflix co-founder Mark Randolph's father gave him a guide to success that's as powerful as it is simple. I don't want to go into this too much. I just want to go through these eight pieces of advice and kind of ask you guys, well, to pitch in with these and do these, do these speak to you? Well, actually, Sarah, you're our guest. Which one of these eight did you like the best or did you like any of them? I really like number seven, be open-minded, but skeptical. I thought that really jumped out at me. So what do you mean by open-minded and skeptical? Like, are you open-minded to working with someone, but skeptical, like, oh, I don't know if you're going to be a jerk or or what is it? So that really made me think about, hmm, what does that really mean? I like that one too, because I don't like it when I present something new or a new idea to somebody and they're not even open to it. But I also don't like it when somebody's just like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> like, no, no matter what the idea is. Like question it a little bit. Len, did that one speak to you also? I would guess in your business and engineering, being open-minded but skeptical probably defines your job. Yeah, it does. But you know what? Another one that's very important in my job is number the second one on here, which is never ever to anybody present as fact opinions on things you don't know. In other words, you know, there's a lot of people that will, and this happens everywhere, people will speak out as if they know what they're talking about and their actual facts when, in fact, it's not. So, in other words, if you're going to be certain about something, make sure you know you're certain about it. Otherwise, make sure you state it as an opinion. Yeah, because I heard, Paula, that 78.2% of that stuff is made up. <laughs> you know, and I also heard that 84.7% of statistics are made up. <laughs> You got the whole joke. I only got half of it. <laughs> but you know what? I'm with Len. That that point on this list, do not present your opinion as if it's fact. Oh, my goodness. I I had a friend who always did that, and it drove me batty, and we are no longer friends. I find, Sarah, that a lot of people present opinions as facts because we've held this opinion for so long. Like, if anybody disagrees with it, we, we start to get angry. I mean, look at politics on Facebook. Not like anybody does that, right? But people get downright angry at each other. I also think 
because we've done something one way and it's worked for us, that it's automatically going to work for everyone else. So I hear a lot of business advice. I hear a lot of advice to pitch clients for, for freelancing work, for example. And they're like, do this and this. And it just didn't work for me. And so they get really annoyed because they just think that because it's, again, worked for them, that somehow is going to magically work for everyone else. And so maybe they're well-intentioned. Mm. I think that happens a fair amount in finance. I'm thinking, Len, of the uh, only have one checkbook. Like married couples should only have one checkbook. How many times have we heard that garbage? Yeah. You know what else gets really heat? You know, when I first started blogging many years ago now, I remember one of the first things I did, and I'm kind of guilty of this. I said, you know what? It's a no brainer to pay off your mortgage. It's a no brainer. If you're not paying off your mortgage as fast as you can, you know, there's something wrong with it. And that's to my discredit over time. And as things change, one, I knew, realize now that everybody's different. Different people have different reasons for paying off their mortgage early or not paying off their mortgage early. You know, it's things like that that you have to be really careful, especially in the personal finance yeah. world, because like I said, personal finance is personal. And there it really is so some things that you just think are absolutely no brainers are actually maybe for you, but not for everybody else. Well, and I'm thinking this happens so often, Paula, that sometimes we really take it as fact because it's repeated so much. Like how many times have we heard that, uh, it, and this is answering questions on the Afford Anything podcast, term life insurance, 100% of the time, right? You'll have somebody, you'll have somebody call in term life, and, and you and I agree 99.9% yeah. .9 of the time. Yes. But this all the time thing, not, not correct. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a perfect example or term life insurance index funds as compared with actively managed funds. I mean, I am of the opinion that is the majority op opinion of my audience and my community. You know, I am of the pro-term life insurance, pro-index fund insurance opinion, and I can state reasons for that. But you're correct, though, in that among people who have these very deeply held convictions, we do oftentimes present opinion as fact. And that does not validate or serve the I don't want to say the institution of learning that sounds so highfalutin but you know what I mean like like if what we want to do is encourage people to have all of the information and make their own critical assessment and form their own conclusions you know and that's what true teaching is then we do need to lay out the pros and cons for everything say look here are the pros here are the cons i personally take this approach for these reasons but just so you know, in fairness, here are the pros and cons to all of the arguments. Here are the angles for all of the arguments. Are you admitting th that the index thing is is just your opinion? It is uh, my deeply held opinion, <laughs> yes, that index funds are superior in every way. After that big fight you and I had a few weeks ago, <laughs> where you presented it as fact. <laughs> I believe you presented as fact your, uh, your defense of actively managed funds. <laughs> I wasn't defending all actively funds all the time. I was just saying there's a, there's a little opportunity there. So I'm glad that you admit that I was probably right. <laughs> Hardly. I think you're hearing what you want to hear, Joe. <laughs> Sarah, what's another one on this list that spoke to you? Oh, man, they're all actually really good. But I really enjoy the do at least 10% more than you were asked, partially because I like numbers. <laughs> but it quantifies the phrase under promise and over deliver. So I thought that was a really good one. It's funny because there is uh, somebody in our community 
who, who I think of immediately when I think about this, because Len, he always overpromises and always underdelivers. Like talks a huge game, and then when you ask him to follow through, it's it's never there, and that 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 gives you a bad reputation very very quickly. A lot of people do that, and uh, it really is better to do the other go the other route, the exact opposite. You know, underpromise and overdeliver, and that's as in work. That's actually one of my secrets in a long time. People would say, well, uh, you know, when can you get this done? And I'd say, well, you know, it's probably going to take uh, three weeks, but I know that it's only going to take me two, you know, and hey, if I'm really kicking butt, I could probably knock it out in one and a half. And then you look like a superstar when you do that. So especially in business, if you can get away with stuff like that under promise, you know, not too much. I mean, if you get too low, you know, people will start saying, well, what the heck? Why is it going to take you so long? You know, or why can't you do that? But under promise and over deliver is always going to make you look much better. It reminds me, Sarah, of another quote. And I think it was, and maybe you can help me with this, but I think it was um, Abraham Lincoln who said something like, and these aren't going to be the exact words, but something like better to keep your mouth shut and have people think that you're, you're dumb than to open your mouth and prove it, you know? Why do you think I don't speak much, Joe? <laughs> That's right. She just, just, just a couple of words and she's done. That's a good interview skill, by the way. It's a fantastic interview skill. Uh, has that worked for you, by the way, doing at least 10% more than you're asked? Yes. So I always aim to give what someone would call a reasonable deadline, let's say for client work. And then I try to submit it maybe at least a day or two before. Of course, I check for quality and consistency in my writing, but editors are always thankful that people submit things on time. So I think I just give a really much better impression if I hand things before they're due. Yeah, I love that. So, you, I mean, you're on the same train as Len then there with set a reasonable deadline and exceed it. Uh, Paula, another one on here that speaks to you? So another one on here. And I struggle with this, be prompt. It's a little bit in line with what Len and Sarah were saying about deadlines, except this is more in terms of showing up for appointments, showing up for meetings, showing up for roundtable recordings. Um, I am always like skidding in at the last minute, like coffee in one hand, water in the other. I see how if I were to simply be five minutes early to everything that I do, my life would be a lot less stressful and I would create a better impression of myself to others. Well, and I'm like you, I didn't realize when I was younger how much not being prompt is nails on a chalkboard to some people. Like for some people, like for me, hey, if you're three minutes late, big deal. But for some other people, if you're three minutes late, that drives them crazy. Mm, yeah, exactly. Particularly people, other people who are early, like they got there early and now you're late. Yeah. 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 Sarah, is that important to you? People being prompt? Oh my gosh. Yes. This was instilled to me by my mother since I was a baby. And so if I am not at least 15 minutes early to any appointment, I will start breaking out in hives. OG always says that. He says, if you're, well, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. L Len, how important is that at work? For me, it's, oh, I get so mad when somebody's two minutes late or five minutes late or 10 minutes late, especially they come in 10 minutes late and then they say, you have to go back and redo the meeting starts and then they, you have to re clue them in. And it takes another 10 minutes just to clue them in on what they missed in the last 10 minutes. Yes, it's very important. And here's another thing when it comes to interviews, 
for me, if you are one minute late to an interview, oh, you're done. You are out. Yeah, you are out. So I always encourage, like my kids or whatever, if you have an interview, you know, be there at least a half hour ahead, always. When I started my public speaking career, we had this uh, group of speakers in the Detroit area that would just do the rubber chicken dinner things. You know, you get these, you get these invitations in the mail. A lot of people listening might have got these. I was the guy that got hired to go in and speak and the advisor putting on the meal for people. I was kind of the hired gun to make people think that the company I worked with was was awesome and that the advisor who's standing in the back of the room was awesome. And we would call that the rubber chicken dinner circuit because it was the same food no matter what restaurant you went to. And, and, uh, but I was pretty good at that. And it was actually great leadership when the head of our program, this is with American express, the head of our program took me aside about, I don't know, eight months in that I've been doing this and said, Joe, you're among one of the top speakers we have in the Metro Detroit area. I don't understand why you would throw all that away just because you can't show up to a meeting on time. I think so negatively about you because you're always three or four minutes late, even though you're phenomenal at what you do. If you can just learn to not be four minutes late, and it was pheno- it was fantastic advice, like presented as, I'm wonderful if I can get my crap together. Just, I, I, it, it was a great lesson on leadership, the way she presented that. It was fantastic. I want to go through these very quickly, but then I want to hear about some of the best advice that the career advice that you've gotten, or maybe the best career mantra that you have. Uh, so Sarah mentioned, do at least 10% more than you're asked. Number two, never ever to anybody present as fact opinions on things you don't know. Take great care and discipline. We talked about that one. Number three, number three, I actually have to stop on this one for a second because this speaks to me. Be courteous and considerate always. And then it says hyphen up and down. I have always found you can tell so much by a person when they treat the receptionist like crap. Like I've known so many people who schmooze everybody and then they're in front of a waiter at the restaurant, the ranger at the golf course, the, 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 the whoever, and just treats them like dirt. Like that just speaks to me about your character. Anybody else want to weigh in on that one? No, I wholeheartedly agree. I was a server at a golf club and a family restaurant for many years when I was in college. And yeah, I mean, the people who treated me better, got better service. Now, I, I didn't, I didn't make it that obvious. I'm gonna, I didn't make it that obvious, but I, 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 it's just a better overall experience for everyone involved. Well, and I found if I treated the receptionist well at a company, the receptionist was the door opener. I mean, they were the person that would allow you to, you know, get to talk to somebody or not. Next up, don't knock, don't complain, stick to constructive, serious criticism. I remember this one, Len, in my business place, I had a mentor who phrased this differently. He said, beware clusters of misery, which are the groups of people that go out on, quote, smoke break and just complain all the time. Yeah. You know what? The problem with that is it also bring, it brings down the rest of the team. If you have your teammates, a constant complainer, is it's poor for morale. I mean, it's okay to complain when it's warranted, but you know, there comes a point where people will start tuning you out if you do it all the time. So yeah, pick your battles. Next up, quantify where possible. What does that mean, Paula? 
the way that I interpret it, it means that if there is data that you can gather, that data will give you a more complete will give you more complete information that you can then use in order to make future decisions. So to use an example actually in, in personal life rather than in business, I recently got a Fitbit. And that Fitbit tracks um, not only my steps, but also my sleep. And looking at that data, looking at the actual hours that I sleep, and, and not just estimating like, oh, I think I slept seven hours last night, but, you know, seeing the actual data, having that all collected, seeing within the night, like, how many times did I wake up? How, how long was I in deep sleep versus light sleep versus uh, REM sleep? It clues me in on my sleep quality. And then I can start playing with the variables in terms of what affects that, right? So to the point, quantify when possible, gathering data allows you to make more informed decisions than simply running off ill-formed impressions. I think it allows you to choose better. Choose better? Like, you, like you mean like... Choose between option A, course of action, and option B, course of action. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So when it comes to making decisions, again, will you continue using sleep as an example. Once I have the data about how well I sleep, then I can start choosing, all right, like, let's say I scale back on how much coffee I drink. How does that affect my sleep? Or let's say I scale up on exercise. How does that affect it? And then I can make those choices. In just a second, let's talk about takeaways with this piece. But first, let's talk for just a second about MetPro because I've got it. Finally, my first meeting with my MetPro coach is Monday, three days from now. I'm super excited about it because having a plan ahead of time that I know works is number one. Number two, a plan that's based on me and my metabolism. I like that, not just a cookie cutter approach. And I also like the fact that uh, I get to work with somebody specific. I've always done better with coaches, frankly, than I have with just uh, a to-do list on a sheet of paper or a book that I read. Don't get me wrong, those can be helpful, but having a coach that I know I have to perform for, I've always found to be number one for me. When it comes to productivity in my businesses, I found that the better that I feel, the better I'm able to manage my time, more I can work smart, the more I can establish better game plans to achieve all the stuff that I want to do. And even in my downtime, I sleep better which uh, you know gives me a cascading effect over time. MetPro has a unique and important point of view on what true net worth actually means. Their experience helping CEOs and industry leaders meet unique challenges gives them remarkable insight for anybody wanting to see a better ROI in their life. So here's what happens. When I meet Monday with my coach, she's going to begin guiding me through this personalized nutrition and fitness strategy and start an education program on how my specific body is responding to macro and micro adjustments. So she'll be tweaking and then monitoring the tweaks, delivering the results to me, and then tweaking even more. MetPro's proprietary science, technology, and techniques have helped thousands of executives and business leaders learn how to optimally manage their health and achieve their associated performance goals regardless of extensive travel and demanding schedules. I remember we first started working with MetPro. I wondered what it meant. Metabolic profiling is what it is. It's a process that allows MetPro to get a baseline to see exactly how your body is responding against a very specific set of variables. 
And because your metabolism is constantly changing and adapting to your environment without identifying a starting point, it's hard to determine the right strategy. So for your complimentary metabolic profiling assessment and a 30-minute consultation with a MetPro expert, head to metpro.co slash SB. Let's go around and find out the great piece of uh, advice either that you love or that you were given. Sarah, what's one that has served you well? Really simple is actually you've got time. So that was a response to me kind of ranting about why things weren't getting traction. I was just naming all the things I was doing and I was feeling frustrated. And I was basically asking this person, like, where should I focus? And she essentially said, you've got time. And I took that to mean that I was being very impatient, which I'm naturally a very impatient person. She said, just enjoy what you're doing. Slow down. You're planting all the seeds. It will come in time. And she was right. I love that. I had a similar thing happen early in my career. I had a uh, mentor and I kept asking him, you know, when am I going to promote? When is, when is this going to happen? When is that going to happen? Because I'm also like you, Sarah, I'm also impatient. And he said, just keep working hard and serve your client and good things always happen. Like it might not be exactly what you want to have happen, but like complaining about not getting a promotion versus just serving your client, being phenomenal at it, kind of parallel to what you were talking about. Len, how about for you? Oh gosh. I, you know what? I, I have four here real quick. So the first one I four I is, huh? Four. Well, this is, you know, I've been in the business for 32 years. He's, he's over delivering. He's under promising <laughs> and right. over delivering. I've, I've, I've learned a few things in 32 years. So welcome learn to, from my mistakes. Welcome kids. to uncle Len's story hour. So, so, and I won't go into these two. The first one, do the dirty jobs that nobody else wants to do. Oh yeah. Okay. There are jobs out there that everybody tries to avoid. If you want to make yourself as valuable as you can to your employer, and, and as you can see where my perspective is, I have, it's from an employer base since I've been, you know, had an employer my whole life. But if you want to, to provide ultimate value to your employer, do that. You will be richly rewarded in your career. If, if you're the guy, if they know you, they can always go to you for those crap jobs that nobody else wants to do. Second one, don't be afraid to make mistakes. That's something I suffered from early on in my career. I was so scared. Oh, no, what if I make a mistake? Or, I, you know, I was afraid to go out on a limb. And that was really career limiting. So big risks, big rewards, um, and really, you're never going to get fired for most mistakes unless they're egregiously incompetent. So get out there and don't be afraid. Just tackle your job. Be open-minded and, and go for it. The third one I have is make yourself invaluable to your employer by finding a niche. So you know, lots of people have the same jobs. You're more likely to be overlooked or in much more competition. If you can find a niche that you can focus on where you are the subject matter expert and nobody else is, you will go much further in your career. And last but not least, when you first get hired within two or three years, make sure you define, sit down with yourself and define your career path. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Map it out and then go for it. Uh, if you don't do that, you're going to find you're just going to your career will just meander. But if you set a direction early on in the first few years, uh, you'll go a long ways. Well, I like that one because I, I think there's a quote, maybe it's a Jack Welch quote. Uh, if you don't have a direction, somebody has one for you. Yes. Yeah. Oh, let me give you one last one. Just real easy. 
The most important, again, this is from the employer perspective, the most important person in your career, trust me on this, it's not your immediate supervisor, it's your supervisor's supervisor. That is the most important person you need to impress. That is the most important person in your career. Not your boss, it's your boss's boss. You know, your list reminds me of one, Len, that a piece of advice I got early on that served me well, which is also accept responsibility even when it wasn't your fault. Like if you're in a meeting, and you accept responsibility for something, everybody in the room knows it wasn't your fault. If you're like, you know what? It's on me. I'll take care of it. Everybody knows. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Paula, Sarah brought one. Len brought five. You got like 19. <laughs> no, I'm going to make this a sandwich and put some symmetry. So I'll also bring one. Okay. That way it's like a... Oh. <laughs> It adds beauty and rounds it out. It really does. <laughs> so the one that I would offer is a piece of advice that I got when I was transitioning from writing full-time at a newspaper to becoming a freelance writer. I knew that as a freelance writer, I was going to have to niche down and pick a particular topic, but I didn't know what that niche would be. And I spent some time thinking about like, what's the you know most optimal thing or what's, you know. And somebody just gave me a very simple advice, write about what you most love to read. And that was amazing advice that allowed me to pick my niche, which for me was personal finance, because being the nerd that I am ever since I was a teenager, I loved reading Money Magazine. Like that was always my favorite magazine. So I knew that this is what I should write about. But I think at a broader scale, you know, taken, this doesn't just apply to writers, I think more broadly, what that piece of advice is stating is that you are more likely to succeed in the thing that you already gravitate towards anyway. So if you find yourself gravitating towards something, if you find yourself curious about something, then lean into that because you're more likely to succeed if you follow your curiosity. It's funny. We talk about that in podcasting with new podcasters, you know, make a podcast you would want to listen to. Yeah, absolutely. Don't spend so much time trying to analyze keywords to see what performed, you know, this keyword performed better than this other keyword. Right. You know, screw that. Just follow your curiosity because that's how you're going to make the best show. Yeah. Or, or chasing your audience and what you think they might like. Make what, make what you'd like. Exactly. Yeah. Because if you spend all your time surveying your audience and trying to figure out what they want you to deliver, you end up creating something that's forced and inauthentic, that's just not going to be as good and also not going to be as enjoyable. So it's a lose-lose. Yeah. Mine, and I found this very enlightening in my career at an inflection point, which was every discussion is a cube and you can see one side of the cube and the person you're discussing it with sees the other side of the cube. And the first person who can see the other side of the cube is the one who, and the, the, the mentor told me this in quotes, wins. Because there really is no such thing as winning, but you have a much better discussion if you seek to understand the other side of the cube instead of yours. Like most conflict, especially in business, comes when you're just defending your side of the cube and you're not thinking about what's what's the other person looking at. I love that. And I think about that anytime I get into like a really, you know, horrible discussion, like when to defend an actively managed mutual fund against somebody who just <laughs> hates them. I have no idea what you're talking about, Joe. <laughs> There's like unspecified people. So good stuff. Well, thanks, guys. That was fun. We'll link to these, by the way, on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com.
well, here's a company not doing things the way that everybody else is doing them. Kale Pash is the CEO of Frugal, spelled F-R-O-O-G-A-L. And when I first heard about this company, this is something I have thought somebody should have been doing long, long, long ago. And I can't wait for you to hear about it. So if you're somebody like most people who need a cash reserve, why sit that at a brick and mortar bank earning nothing? So I saw this uh, news about Frugal. As always on a Friday FinTech segment, I love this space and love seeing new things that companies are doing. And here's another one we can learn about together. Let's say hi to Kale Pash from Frugal. And here he is walking down the stairs to the basement. It's our new friend, Kyle Pash. How are you, man? Excellent, excellent. Wow, what a beautiful basement. Um, the only surprise is the magnified money carpeting that's everywhere. I, I wasn't expecting to see it, but it really brings the place together well. But it's funny that you say magnified money carpeting because that's, I mean, kind of some of the stuff that they do is is a little bit toward what you guys do, isn't it? It absolutely is. And the early segway is always, uh, always necessary. <laughs> Uh, I'd love, yeah, we're going to get into it more, but uh, Bad Divine Money, excellent company, and uh, certainly we'll just circle back to them. Yeah, no, and super nice people too. But, you know, they sponsored the show for so long, Kale. You have to have the carpeting. I mean, it, it's contractual. I hope you understand. The drapes also add to the effect, but I wasn't going to comment on those on, on air, but that's all right. Well, tell me about how you guys got started. Was it desperation, like you couldn't find a good interest rate anywhere, so you went and made your own thing? Or was it you saw an opportunity in the market that wasn't being addressed? Yeah, absolutely. And Frugal really is a story of uh, three great people and then a, a brief tenure with the Treasury. Uh, the first individual who really brought Frugal to what ultimately was, was, was my father early on. You guys talk about it all the time on the show about early support and transparency in the household about talking about finance and money. And it truly shined through my whole childhood. I've heard it come up consistently with Len Paula and yourself, um, honest conversations, building a budget or anti-budget and building out those spreadsheets early on um, to make you a new and frugal person. And that's an early plug on my end. So we've essentially, he built me into the, uh, finance nerd that I ultimately became and uh, really allowed me to extend uh, my career path ultimately to where I am. On top of that, I really gained some support of my fiance, Lindsay, kind of stuck with us as we've waged war against the machine. And if you want to call it that, been our sanity check all along. And then third, and what we can call it maybe most importantly, is I had a lifelong friend and my co-founder, Nick, who was a, or a software developer for a large bank. So you can kind of see where I'm going with how we built this thing. Uh, really helped me build it from the start, humored me with buying into the idea that we could change banking and then that we're ultimately going to do it. So from there, I, I essentially pursued a brief tenure with the U.S. Treasury as a national bank regulator, got to really see behind the scenes. And if you want to talk about exploitation, that's probably where to start. Hmm. We really saw uh, that we could have the most impact with deposits because that's really an area where we could give back to the general consumer and really help their financial lives. So we, we took the ball, we ran with it, and me and Nick came together. We always explain it to people, we're really a bunch of nobodies who got tired of being uh, quote-unquote by banks and decided to build something better to deal with it. At the same time, we, we've really garnered the support of a lot of great institutions around us. And, and currently, Queen City FinTech in Charlotte, North Carolina, with Dan Rizzoli's program, has really carried us into what we are today. So I can't be more grateful for that. Yeah, it's a powerful program. And you're right in the middle of banking. So you definitely, I mean, you see what all the big banks are doing all around you every day. Oh, yeah. From around us every day to everyday meetings with them and talking to the large guys. And essentially hearing from them, 
not only would they crush us and they never want to work with us, but honestly, what we're doing is the exact opposite of what they're trying to do. From a large bank's perspective, their goal is to pay you nothing if possible, or it's to pay you as little as possible so you won't leave. So that's kind of where we come into the picture here. Well, and we saw that a recent uh, Bank of America earnings call, Kale. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but they even admitted Bank of America said they're not paying higher interest rates on savings account because their customers aren't demanding it. So instead, they're giving that money to shareholders. I mean, these banks, they know there's a lot more money, Kale, that they could be giving people that they're not. Yeah. And I think that's an important point. So let's walk through the system works for the listeners at home. And I always do this quick pitch for people. So today you go sign up for J.P. Fargo of America. You visit a local brick and mortar retail branch. You go into the office of a smiling associate and then you get bent over a barrel and for the rest of your life. That's how banking works today. Uh, large banks play that game and it's just continued and continued for many years until with Frugal, we're, we're looking to flip the script. Yeah. So you were talking about lessons that you learned at the you were at the Federal Reserve. Uh, OCC, Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, U.S. Treasury. Yeah, at the Treasury. Tell me what you learned there about uh, the banking system. Sure. So the basic thing to note for the general consumer is that a bank will, for a small depositor, as we just talked about, pay you absolutely nothing. For if a large depositor, they're willing to give them essentially the house to pull them in and use their money to lend out to everybody. On top of that, they're building these systems on patchwork processes, things really old technology, and they're trying to cover it up by partnering with smaller fintech apps and really trying to make themselves more innovative than they really are. So with the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, U.S. Treasury, you learn a lot of things working from the inside out, but it's primarily something you need to understand that it's a system built for the benefit of the large bank, of the banking institution. They commonly will pitch it to us as the general consumer as they're there to help they're there to make your life better. But honestly, when brass tax comes due, they're there to take your money and to generate profit for their shareholders, just like you were talking about, and then to slap their logo in a large building and make you feel comfortable at night. That's really how the system currently works. You feel comfortable as you're getting nothing, maybe a toaster when you signed up. Yeah. I mean, some of them give you the 0.01% number, and that's truly something to, to take in. I mean, <laughs> as I've tweeted on it too, I love looking at your tweets, the uh, average Joe money on there. You'll see it's it's not a rate, it's a joke the way the current system is. Well, let's dive in then. So the average person, where do they start? They go to frugal.us? Absolutely. So www.frugal.us, F-R-O-O-G-A-L.us, because .com was taken. You go on and you sign up and to note right out of the gate, it's absolutely free to the consumer. So you're going to hop on and, and sign up in less than five minutes. You'll transfer your money over to us. We'll essentially take that money and we're investing it because we think deposits should be considered investments. And that's something I can circle back to. We're invested into local community banks that both need your money to grow and are willing to pay the highest rate for it. So essentially, we'll take your frugal account money, we'll invest it out to a wide breadth of community banks, and they'll pay us the high rate. We'll take a little bit of spread on top of it, and then we'll flow back to you the market matching high rate at all times. Essentially, we're limiting the need to ever wonder if you could earn any more because you frankly cannot because we're going to always be giving you the high rate. About that rate, too, and about these community banks, because it's in, in a bank, Kale, does that mean we're still FDIC insured? 
That's a great question and a huge component of all. You can rest easy at night knowing that all money put into a frugal account is fully FDIC insured at all times. Your money never actually leaves the insured banking system. It's just simply moved from bank to bank based on generally who is willing to grow and who's willing to pay up for it. A lot of times when I search, you talked about magnify money earlier. When I search all these different bank rates at, at magnify money, sometimes, as you know, there's a dollar that it has to be or $5, you know, $50, but sometimes it's ten. $5,000, $10,000 I have to put in to get a rate. Do you guys have a certain amount somebody has to put in with Frugal as a minimum? Total nonsense, right? So they, they make you have a minimum and then they get you in, they hit you with a bunch of fees. Uh, for Frugal's point, no minimums, no restrictions, uh, no fees of any kind. You can put any dollar amount with us and that dollar amount will earn the highest rate. And you guys obviously not having those brick and mortar overhead banks, I would imagine getting my money out still is, is, I mean, because you're all online, it should be pretty easy. Oh yeah. You want your money back to you. We'll have it back to you the next day. It's where your money for the finance nerds out there is fully liquid. For the non-finance nerds, it means you can withdraw it at any time. We're creating a new system that how it should have always been. And that starts with you having access to your money at all times without having to worry about, is this the fifth or sixth withdrawal of the month that I'm going to hit with a fee for? How do you guys determine what interest rate you have on the money that people save with you? So essentially for our users out there, the rate chasers among us, They'll go online, they'll go to a bankrate.com or a magnifiedmoney.com. They'll see the highest rate on there and then they'll swap banks to it. Instead of ever having to worry about swapping the banks again, we'll take that highest rate on there and we'll flow that rate to you at all times. Whether it goes up or down, hopefully never down, always up for you. We'll essentially, you'll know that you can rest easy at night knowing that you have the highest rate available out there. So, I mean, just to be clear here then, let's say that, uh, I don't know, Ally Bank has 2.5 and then some other bank comes out uh, let's say American Express 2.65, you'll automatically bump me up to 2.65 without me having to do anything? Done deal. Yeah. You sit back, you enjoy your life, you continue chasing financial freedom and just know that you're earning the highest rate. So brag about it at parties if you want, if you want to be that guy talking about bank deposit <laughs> rates, but we have you covered on that end. There's always that dude at a party, Kale, always that dude. And you kind of want to stay away from them. Yeah, I think it's us, Joe. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think that we have created a company that forces us to be that guy. But ultimately, until this is fixed, we have to keep harping away until the system is is fixed for the better. I can see you guys with a couple of drinks in your hand at the holiday party talking about the difference between APR and APY. Like hilarity. Oh, yeah. Well, we're typically not invited to those holiday parties anymore because <laughs> of that. But we are looking to be invited back. Maybe we can... Uh, Talk to Len and OG and Paula about it and really get to the bottom of those uh, acronyms that no one seems to quite fully understand. I want to ask about, go back to FDIC insurance for just a second, because as you very well know, FDIC has a maximum amount, right, that they cover. But because you're working with several different banks, are you guys able to kind of bump that up or are we still at that same? I mean, that's a huge number, but are we still locked in at that same number as if we went to a brick and mortar bank? Yeah, great question. And although our average deposit size for our users coming in is between twenty-five dollars and $40,000, traditionally just their emergency fund, which is a great starting point with us, we do offer essentially up to however much you need in FDIC insurance. So whether it be a million, two million, we work with enough community banks to get you what you need covered and to make sure it's placed in the right banks appropriately. Gotcha. I'm on the site right now and it says join the wait list. Uh, when does the wait list open up? How does that work? So you can sign up today. You can hop up on there and just enter in your email. It's all it takes. So you can get in about 
two seconds. Once you're on the wait list, we're going to be launching this month. That's something we really want to harp away at. It's going to be fantastic as we roll it out to you. You can transfer your money in. Um, we do not have a hard date set, but just keep, if you join the wait list, you'll get a number of emails from us, probably with a bunch of finance nerd sarcasm telling you when we're rolling into town and how you can start earning this high rate. There's a perception, obviously, in the financial community that when somebody is is brand new, that that means that there might be some risk here. But let's talk about that. Somebody sends you $20,000, $30,000. Talk for a second about just what protections are in place, because it's my understanding. I mean, not just the fact that you guys are part of Queen City FinTech, but there also are lots of ways that people are protected here. Oh, absolutely. And I think the thing to harp away at is, is a number of points. So. A, one, your money only FDIC insured. So you never have to worry about losing the principal of any manner. B, we work with a number of fantastic banking partners. So with them, we're required to have incredible encryption and controls in place to make sure your money is completely safe at all times. So there's nothing to be concerned about from a consumer perspective here, as we're doing everything it takes to one, not be the fintech getting sued or the headline in the newspaper. We go above and beyond what's required. Because to be clear here, Kale, the money's not really with you. The money's really with these banks. Precisely. It's absolutely with the community banks at all times. Right now, I know you guys are juggling a lot launching this month. What do you see coming after this? Yeah. And I'm going to circle back to the general theme of what we're offering here. So it's the highest deposit rates at all times. So I know you guys are going to get tired of hearing it, but it's so absolutely essential that we get this out there in the marketplace. So we're starting there and where we go after that is maybe one more round of telling you guys you're getting the highest savings deposit rates. And then we might roll out some fancy financial planning tools on the website that might show you that the student debt is crushing or that you can't afford a wedding or things like that. There's it's some goal-based mechanisms, which are absolutely essential if you're going to make a financial planning uh, goal-based system out there. We have all that too. But first, we're going to start with correcting for this deposit rate issue in the market and then we might come back on the show and tell you about all the cool stuff we're doing after it. Yeah, because I'm seeing actually on the site uh, some of the stuff you're mentioning uh, here. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at somebody who uses Frugal and you can set up different goals inside of inside of Frugal. Oh, yeah. And if this show talks about one thing that we love is the goal based financial planning, starting with the end in mind. And we and we totally believe in it. The reason we don't harp away too much on uh, on air or on the website about it is because these are all great things to have. But what a lot of our competitors out there are putting forward with these goal-based apps don't have the underlying value statement that you need, which is that your money is always earning the highest rate. Really, without it, it makes these apps nice to have, but not essential and not allowing you to take a step closer to financial freedom, which is really what we're all about. Well, I know it's a pretty exciting time, Kale, and I'm so happy that you were able to take a few minutes to hang out with us here in the basement. One of the most hilarious uh, Friday FinTechs I've ever had. Thanks for telling us a little bit about Frugal. We're incredibly humbled to be on the show, Joe. We appreciate what you're doing here. And then honestly, we'd love to come back anytime now. Absolutely. As things uh, come up, please do. And by the way, everybody, if you're walking the dog or you are uh, driving to work on your commute, whatever it might be, we got your cover. We got the link to frugal.us on our, that's with an F, F-R-O-O-G-A-L.us on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. Hey, trivia fans. You know who you got right here? It's Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And in honor of International Day of Eggs, I have some uh, excellent trivia. While some of us have decorated an egg here or there, the master at that vocation is undisputably some dude named Faberge. 
Faber, Fabergé, that guy. Enticing collectors as far up the food chain as the old Russian royalty. Here's how much these little ovals run. The second most expensive egg, the Rothschild egg, is valued at a whopping $25 million in today's money. But it's another one, the intricate third imperial egg that holds the title of the world's most expensive. Here's today's question for our illustrious panel. What was the price of this world-class omelet? I'll be right back with your answer after the break. Break, get it? Break, egg, oh, come on. Sarah, we explained the convoluted rules to this game to you backstage. Do you get where we're kind of going with this? I think so. I'm a little confused, but, you know, I'll figure it out. <laughs> we're confused, too. We've been here all year. So uh, here's the deal. We play this Price is Right style. It's the closest without going over. We're also having a year-long competition between Len, Paula, and OG. The score, Len has 10. OG crept closer last week with nine, and Paula has eight. So that's where we stand, which means that Paula is in third. So she gets to decide if she's going to choose first in the middle or last. I will choose last. That is so strange. So Sarah, would you like to go first or in the middle? I'm going to go to the middle. Yeah, that's strange too. (laughs) Which means you get the opportunity to guess first. The third imperial egg, Fabergé egg. Second most expensive is $25 million. How much is this one worth? Can I use a encyclopedia? A encyclopedia? A hen encyclopedia. <laughs> <laughs> He's on fire. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's see. I, I poached that joke from somewhere else. Oh. Poached. <laughs> I'm laughing uh, at my own jokes. Uh, let's see. $25 million. Did you say that was the second most expensive? Yeah, second most expensive is $25 million. So the most expensive is worth how much? Hmm. Man. This is tough. I, I, I have no idea how to even how they even price uh, these eggs. So I'm just gonna Oh yes, throw you do. You, you know how I they do? do it? Very huh? carefully. <laughs> okay, let me see. Uh I don't know. Let's just say, my gosh, a hundred and five million dollars. 105 million. So second place is 25 million. First place, 105 million. Yeah. Uh, then Sarah, what do you think? I'm just going to pull a random number out of my basket here. Why would you do that? <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> I have my eggs in there. Anyway, uh, I just tried for a joke. It didn't work. <laughs> swing and a miss, but you were close. We got where you're going. Yeah, yeah, it was close. So, hmm. Let's say 85.4 million. million. All right, Paula, they're all lined up for you. So this question is the most expensive. You've been gone a month and you still got it. (laughs) (laughs) And we know that the second most expensive was 25 million. So if I make the guess of 26 million, that gives me the entire territory of 26 million through what, 84? Through 85.4. Through 85.4. So I'm going to go with that and I'm going to say 26 million. 26 oh million dollars. I'm just happy not to be Chelsea Brennan by Paula for once. <laughs> <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> I know. Well, we would tell you, but that's not the way we play this game. At this point, Sarah, we make you wait. So we'll be back with the answer here in just a minute. Had a text from a friend who comes to game night saying, hey, you still work with Away? I said, yes, I do. So is it using me when you get called by a friend about you getting them a code so they get money off their luggage? Is that being used or is that friendship? No, I think it's friendship. I'm just kidding. Away, for those of you who don't know what it is, they make affordable, high-quality suitcases that also charge your phone. And by cutting out the middleman, Away is able to offer the perfect luggage made with high-quality materials at a much lower price. It did it again for me. Another trip, I found another sticker to put on my bag. Got one from Blowing Rock. What a fantastic town. And I get that it's a little touristy town in the Appalachians, but holy moly, was was that fun. And then we drove down the Blue Ridge Parkway to Asheville. Anyway, my away bag always makes it easy and fun. It comes in a variety of colors and four sizes. There's the carry-on, the bigger carry-on. That's the one I have. My daughter has the carry-on, the medium or the large. Uh, friends of mine have the large. The carry-on bags feature two USB ports and a high-capacity battery, which allow you to charge multiple devices on the go, phone, tablet, laptop, so you don't have to worry about a dead phone or fight for that outlet at the airport. It's super durable, yet lightweight. My bag has been so beat up, and it weighs next to nothing. Made with premium impact-resistant German polycarbonate. Not sure what polycarbonate is, but it sounds... Sounds tough. A smooth ride in any direction. Four 360-degree spinner wheels that won't get stuck or break. I think it's the first suitcase I've had where my wheels didn't break. Theft-proof, TSA-approved combination lock built in to keep your belongings safe. And even overpackers can fit everything they need. When we did the Canadian Rockies, man, was I I just stuffing stuff in that bag. It has a patent-pending interior compression system that tightly buckles in bulky items. I had to carry a coat in August because I was headed to the Rockies. Comes with a lifetime warranty, by the way. If anything breaks, Away is going to fix or replace it for life. And the carry-on size are compliant with all major U.S. airlines while maximizing the amount you can pack. Free shipping within the continuous U.S., Europe, and Australia, and... How about this? A risk-free 100-day trial period. If at any point you decide it's not for you, return it for a full refund, no questions asked. This is the moment you've been waiting for, the one my friend Rob texted me about. Away as a special offer just for listening to this show or for knowing me if you want to text me for this. For $20 off a suitcase, head to awaytravel.com forward slash SB20. Use promo code SB20. Bam. I just got you 20 bucks off. Plus, get free shipping anywhere in the lower 48 states. That's $20 off a suitcase by going to awaytravel.com forward slash SB20 and enter promo code SB20. So, Sarah, you're at 85.4 million. That gives you what? That gives you about just less than 20 million. Feeling good about that? It's too late to feel about anything. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Welcome to the Friday version of the podcast. Sarah's like, I want to go back to being the featured guest on a Monday or Wednesday, like you were last time. Uh, Len, 105 million. You got blue sky. Yeah, like I said, I'm not used to that. Usually when when I'm playing Paula, it's, it's you know, she's five, 105 million and one cent. So it's like I'm I'm in good shape. Paul, I feel good. Paula, 26 million. 
I, you know, I did have the thought of what if it's oh, higher than 25, but lower than 26. I know. If that's the case, I'm <laughs> right after you said yeah. that, I'm like, if Doug comes back with 25.5, that'd be so awesome. Well, on that note, uh, Doug, take it from here. What is our answer? Hey there, trivia eggheads. We're pulling out all the stops to celebrate International Day of Eggs by uh, testing for cracks among these three financial luminaries. Who the hell? Financial luminaries? I haven't seen one of those around here, that's for sure. Before the break, I asked you how much the most expensive Faberge... Faberge... What? Oh, yeah, I knew that. I knew that. Uh, Faberge product called the Third Imperial Egg Costs. Let this scramble your eggs, peeps. The Russian beauty, now in a private collection, went for an exciting $33 million. $33 million! <laughs> it's a nice start, but you, know, you can't live on it. See ya! with the flourish. She is. Coming back strong. <laughs> I think a month away. from Tokyo, I've eaten enough raw eggs that I can now <laughs> confidently make guesses I think the a, cost of the world's most expensive egg. I think a month away cleared your head, Paula. Absolutely. Yes, that's it. I, I am no longer fried. I could figure out. I mean, there's all these eggs, Len. There's all these eggs. $25 million for the second most expensive egg. And then one egg on earth is like five times more expensive. Not to question uh, well, your guess or anything. I, I had no idea. I mean, I, I don't even know how to begin to, you know me. I normally work these out very, yep. very carefully, don't I? Yes, I that's right. But this, I don't even know how to, to price a, a Fabergé egg. I, I'll be honest. What is a Fabergé egg? Is that that's those <laughs> diamond encrusted eggs or something, isn't it? They is are, yes. Very intricate. Very okay. intricate. So, I have no Russian Whatever. eggs. Let's wait till we get, let's get back into something that I know, like bunker costs and, and stuff like that. <laughs> and Sarah, welcome to the feeling of being let down. That's the most prominent feeling guest I have here on the Stacky Benjamin show. Hey guys, let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of magnifymoney.com. When you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, you know what you find, Sarah? I don't know. What do you find, Joe? You find, well, let me tell you, you'll find that those financial products you use every day, they're nowhere near the best in class. Over 92% of the products available online, (laughs) all ranked at Magnify Money. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money for more. And uh, today we're going to help, who are we going to help? We're going to help Tyler, right? Help Tyler magnify his money. Say hi, Tyler. Hey guys, longtime fan of the show. I still think it's kind of weird that Neighbor Doug's trivia podcast has financial information in between segments, but hey, what are you going to do? So here's a big question for you. I recently have gotten a promotion and will be moving from the St. Louis area to the Michigan area just outside of Detroit. I know a couple of you guys have also made a move up there recently, and uh, I think maybe originally from there. What are some things that expenses, finances, things like that for moving for a promotion? Thanks for any information that you can give me. Biggest reason I'm calling is uh, get that free shirt. Last time I called in, they sent me an extra small instead of an extra large. I mean, I guess it fits the border collie, but I appreciate all the help. Thanks. Well, maybe Gertrude Tyler just thought you like your shirt tight. 
Just saying. Mm-hmm. Some people like the tight shirt. Uh, but thanks for the question. By the way, congratulations on moving here to the Detroit area. That means, uh, Len, that Tyler automatically gets invited to game nights. So that's awesome. He's he's Very got good. he's got to come to board game night in the basement. If, Tyler, I don't make the rules. You move to Detroit. You have to come to board game night. Sarah, if you ever move to Detroit, you have to come to board game night. It's just what happens. So we'll let our guests go first. Moving. I'm not sure exactly what he's asking, Sarah, but um, maybe uh, moving expenses to think about. All right. So as someone who's moved many, many times in her short life, I will say two items that I did not anticipate was disposable cutlery and a really, really good lock. (laughs) And I say disposable cutlery because if you're not organized enough packing your essentials from your kitchen, you're going to have to rely on disposable cutlery for couple of weeks until you figure out where it is. So label your stuff, not a finance related tip, but in case buy some disposal cutlery. Number two is a lock. So depending on how you choose to move, like let's say you want to do one of those pod things where it gets delivered to your apartment or your home and you stuff it in, they move it for you. You do need a lock. Keep the key because if you lose a key, like someone did over here, you're going to have to pay someone to snip that lock. So those are some Expenses that you might want to watch out for. You actually lost your key. I'm not saying anything, but I may have. (laughs) When we moved to Detroit, I was so sure I lost my key. I couldn't find it anywhere. And then somehow at the last second, I found it. I I was getting ready to call to have the the, the lock uh, cut off the pod and found it at the last second. That's horrible. Losing the key stinks. Len, I've never heard the, uh, the, the plastic cutlery one. Beat, beat, beat that. <laughs> I'm not sure what he, what Tyler's asking. I, I thought he was asking if you're moving. What I don't know. I was thinking what he was talking about his employer. What does what his employer pay for? But uh, maybe I totally missed that. Well, so. maybe. Well, I mean, maybe tackle it that way. Because I, I really, I mean, there's so many expenses. I, you know, I don't, uh, you know, when it comes to that, I mean, your employer will pay. You know, if they really are, want you and they you are required to move somewhere, they'll pay for a lot of stuff. They'll pay for moving your your all of your furniture. They'll pay for move expenses. They'll pay for your um, realtor fees, uh, stuff like that. So uh, they'll pay for a lot of stuff that you might not be thinking of. We had professional movers when we moved to Texas that uh, the company paid for. We also had um, uh, they not only moved the stuff, they packed it all up like they yeah, came in. Nice. They that's came, an extra cost. By yeah, the way. yeah, they came in and packed it all up. We didn't pay for any of that. The mm-hmm. the company paid for that. The um, other thing the company will pay for is they'll give you usually a month or two months. Uh, they'll pay for a hotel or rent until you can settle in for your home too. As yeah. well, they might give you a month or two to go find a place, and in the meantime, they'll pay your rent or hotel or whatever for that. So, Sarah, with all your moves, did an employer pay for any of those? Unfortunately, no. So I'm going to preface, I'm not a CPA. This is just my experience. It is not fact. (laughs) (laughs) Is that in some cases, depending on the distance of your move, so in St. Louis to Detroit is pretty significant, you may be able to deduct some of your expenses on your taxes if you are paying out of pocket. My husband and my son moved from North Carolina to Florida. And so we were actually able to deduct some of our moving expenses. So we hired a moving truck and those moving pods and we were able to deduct those from our tax return. That work-related moving expenses. What part of North Carolina? 
Just Sarah. north of Raleigh, actually. Oh, yeah, I lived in Raleigh mm-hmm. for three months. Mm-hmm. Not not long, but three months I was there. <laughs> this is the kind of important information you learn on this show. You ever go to Goodberries? Mm-hmm. I did not, actually. You never went to Goodberries? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I just hide that. in my house. I mean, I'll get out every once in a while to go to somebody's basement, but that's about it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> just to go to the basement. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Paula. Yes. I interpret his question to mean what are moving costs, like what moving costs can he anticipate? That's how I heard it. And so the opposite of disposable cutlery is just eating a lot of food at restaurants or eating a lot of food out because all of your pots and pans and cutting board, knife, everything that you normally need to cook is packed away. And so when I moved to Las Vegas, there was a period of a couple of weeks where there's a Thai restaurant across the street. I was going to that Thai restaurant like three times a week for the first two weeks. So I would say just having more meals out is one of the, the major unanticipated moving expenses, along with, of course, the normal stuff that you already expect, like hiring a truck, buying cardboard boxes, buying tape, buying bubble wrap and packing bubbles, having to take all of that time to to pack up and to move and everything. That's time that you could otherwise be spending earning money so that there's an opportunity cost there. The the one that gets me every time I've moved and tell me if this has been the case for all of you. And that is depending on which one's closer home Depot or Lowe's by the end of my first week living there, I'm on a first name basis with these people. Cause I go back like 37 times for little things like uh, wall hangers or power strips or I don't know, just random stuff. Sarah, you're nodding your head. I'm laughing because parents of toddlers, you will understand this, is when you buy things that somebody can hide in the house and you're not very good at finding things, you will have to buy items on repeat. I cannot even tell you how many power strips and little tools that my husband are just now starting to find around our house. So, and it's too late to return them. That's all I got to say. We did that with those uh, torches, you know, the little that you light candles with and stuff. When we moved from Texas to Michigan, I was always buying these things and I have like 15 of them now. Like I had had so many laying around the house because I kept buying those. Uh, Len, that the case for you? First name basis? (laughs) Yes. And the torches thing you're talking about, we have the same issue. You know, they actually sell those in like four packs now. So you don't have to buy one at a time. <laughs> just just get it over it's with. True. <laughs> buy, buy them all at once. Yeah. I'll be back for more about a week later. Thanks for the question, uh, Tyler. Guess what? We're not sure how you asked your question. So we answered it three different ways. Bam. Like we, <laughs> we totally, we, we covered the gamut. Uh, if you've got a question for the show, do like Tyler did, uh, head to our voicemail, stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail, and you too can have us magnify your money. That's going to do it for today, everybody. Uh, Sarah, thanks a ton for hanging out with us. Thanks so much for having me. It's about time we got you back here. That's all I have to say. But tell everybody what's coming up at uh, Beyond the Dollar. What do you got in the hopper? So season five is in full effect. So... Lots of stories, lots of different life events, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. So definitely check it out, beyondthedollar.co, not .com. Because if you go to beyondthedollar.com, it like somehow manages to get to this weird spam trading website. Don't go to it. <laughs> All right, deal. Beyondthedollar.co. And if you're walking the dog, 
We'll have a link to Sarah's podcast on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Len, uh, what's coming up at lenpenzo.com? Uh, on lenpenzo.com and its sister site, the persistent itch. Dot com. Of Please course. put the M. Otherwise, who knows where you're going to go if you put the persistentinch.co. But one of my most – I'm rerunning one of my most popular articles. It's on the history of pizza delivery fees, if you can believe that. There is actually uh, apparently a zillion people Google search pizza delivery fees, and they've landed on my site uh, <laughs> looking at my, my historical look at pizza delivery fees. So uh, stop on by. It's really interesting, actually. So uh, stop on by and uh, check it out. It's it's your historical, hysterical <laughs> look at pizza delivery fees. Well, wow. Frankly, truth be told, I look at how did these even come to be? Because pizza delivery fees, honest to goodness, they weren't around forever. They've only been around for, you know, not that long. And I go back and look at when they first started. And uh, guess whose fault it is, actually, that that we have these pizza delivery fees. Sarah's. Nope. Oh, it's your fault. Nope. It's our fault. It's our fault for letting them take hold. We're the one. We accepted it. When we had the chance to reject them, we didn't. And now we're paying the price. So now you got me all mad, Joe. Take that as a lesson, people. (laughs) It's your fault. That's good. Blame the listener, Len. That's good. You know, it's funny those how many people actually go searching for about pizza delivery fees. There's a lot of irritated people out there. I guess they get their pizza and they go, "What the?" You know, they look at their pizza and then they go and Google and go, "What the heck's going on?" Anyways, Paul, are you angry about your your pizza delivery fees? First of all, I haven't had a pizza delivered since I was probably nine years old. In which case, it was my parents getting it delivered. But I I literally don't think I've had a pizza delivered. In my entire adult life, I've been to parties where other people have ordered pizza, but I myself don't think I have ever actually ordered a pizza. Well, you know what? You know what you're doing after the show tonight, then. (laughs) Just for fun. (laughs) Just for fun, skis. I'll see if they can put both chicken and egg on it. (laughs) That's right. It's so good to have you back in the United States. Thank you, Joe. (laughs) When when is the show firing back up again? Or is it going now? I don't know. It's going now. So we were on uh, the Afford Anything podcast was on a sabbatical for the month of September, but it is now up and running and totally like uh, starting with a flourish, just like in the way that I win trivia. I'm winning the month of October with some amazing guests. So <laughs> You should have said you should have said you're hashtag winning the month of October. So, so FTW. So. Uh, Kristen Berman, she is a behavioral scientist. She and best-selling author Dan Ariely co-founded Irrational Labs. They do a lot of uh, research into why people act the way they do. We also have, oh, geez, by the time this episode airs, we theoretically should also have a really awesome guest on the show, but I have learned the hard way never to announce the name before I've recorded the interview because that's exactly how you jinx it. So I'm not going to announce the name, but in addition to Kristen Berman, we also have what I hope is a really awesome interview with another really awesome author that should be airing right around now. That's great. I I got a fantastic non-specific show. It's going to (laughs) be phenomenal. You might laugh. You might cry. Got to listen. But for sure, Kristen Berman, she's amazing. Uh, Lots of insight into behavioral economics. So if you're interested in that, if you want to know more about the psychology of money, tune into that interview on the Afford Anything podcast, downloadable wherever finer podcasts are found. (laughs) And her partner, that Ariella guy, never heard of him. Who's that guy? (laughs) 
know. Yeah, Dan Ariely, for those of you living under a rock, is one of the most famous behavioral economists. He's written many, many books, many bestsellers that describe why we behave the way we do when it comes to money and how very incredibly irrational we all are. So when it comes to blaming the listener, Dan Ariely <laughs> does it does it best. Blame Dan Ariely. Yes. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today. Doug, you got it from here. Uh, what should we have learned today? Well, Joe, I'll tell you what, our listeners should ask themselves this question. What's the best business or career advice you've received? How are you utilizing it? Second, take some advice from Kale Pash at Frugal. Between Frugal, Magnify Money, and others, there are too many easy options to accept that nearly zero interest rate from your bank. Go find yourself a better one. But the big lesson... This idea about eggs has this amazing brain in my noggin thinking. What if we brought some chickens and had a podcast slash uh, a chicken farm? How great would that be? We got to sell eggs, get to eat eggs, uh, making podcasts, crack, fry, repeat. Know what I mean? Got it all figured out. All the good yolks love it. I can see it in the whites of your eyes. You love it. Can tell. If you don't, you're cracked. All this entrepreneurial talk has me exhausted. I am whipped. Special thanks to Sarah Lee Kane for coming down to the basement to have a little fun at our roundtable. You'll find her podcast, Beyond the Dollar, wherever you're listening to us here. Thanks to Kale Pash for taking a trip to the basement to talk about Frugal. You'll find the site at frugal.us. That's frugal spelled F-R-O-O-G-A-L dot U-S. I mean, how else is frugal going to be spelled? Holopant appears courtesy of AffordAnything.com and the Afford Anything podcast. Len Penzo appears courtesy of LenPenzo.com and the AngelOfDarkness.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm wondering if KY Jelly is actually made in Kentucky. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. And thanks to you for cracking a good time with us peeps. We'll see you back here next Monday with co-founder of the Orlando Magic, Pat Williams.
It is October 11th, and I'm starting to think about Halloween. And every year, as a 51-year-old guy with my kids now having left home, I'm just, you know, wondering what everybody's got planned for Halloween. Uh, Sarah, you're the guest. Have you started thinking about your Halloween experience for 2019? I have been Googling trunk or treats at all of the churches in my area, and we're going to hit up all of them. So you dress up and go trunk or treat with people. I don't dress up. My son does. Oh, whatever. I will let him have one piece of candy and then we hide the other ones for the rest of the year. And and you hide it like Len hides it, like in your tummy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Len's like, I hit all that candy. Where did you hide it? Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> Len, what do you got going on? Probably nothing. Oh, come I'm on. Not going out. My kids are my kids are too old. You know what? The, like, the days you, of me going out with the kids and trick-or-treating. And, but do you and, and the honeybee you know, wear like scary – wear scary? What am I talking about? Do you, do, you, do you guys do you guys watch scary movies or anything? Sometimes. You know, sometimes we go to parties. As a matter of fact, the honeybee and I, last time we went to a Halloween party, it was pretty cool. She dressed up as a devil and I dressed up as a priest. It was awesome. That was our That was our theme that we went – that's the outfit you guys have like every Saturday night, isn't it? <laughs> no, well, that's one of them. Let's <laughs> like, that's my third favorite. <laughs> Sarah, how old's your son? He's four. Oh, awesome. That's see, that's a great age for trick or treat. What's he going to go as? He's either going to go as a Royal Chinese emperor because the outfit still fits him. Or Superman, because the outfit also fits him, and I'm too cheap to buy a new costume. <laughs> That's just whatever fits him. Yes. Basically. That's actually why I wore the shirt today, because it still fits me. So same same thing. Paula, mm-hmm. I bet you party like it's 1999. <laughs> you know, in 1999, I was still in high school, so I didn't really party. <laughs> so I party like it's 2019. Exactly. Oh, no, no. She's like, yes, I do party like it's like it's 1999. I go to bed at, <laughs> I go to bed at nine. And, uh... <laughs> uh, usually for Halloween, I'll have a friend who throws a party and typically the party is not on Halloween night, but rather like the weekend before. But yeah, I'll usually go to some type of a house party. I'm not a big costume person though, because I'm busy. I like do stuff with my, you know, like my fill my schedule and I just don't have a free evening to go thrift store shopping to try to find some costume or worse to like sit at a sewing machine with like a imaginary sewing machine that I don't own and pretend that I know how to operate it and then try to make something, which some of my friends do. And I'm like, wow, you have a lot of time. But if I learned anything from Sarah today, you have time. Remember that advice? Sarah said that earlier. You have time. You just choose to use it other ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. So what I'm saying is making a costume or shopping for a costume is not a priority. Well, I have time for anything, but not everything. I think you need to re-examine your, my priorities. Your priorities. <laughs> really sit down and rethink my priorities. <laughs> That's right. Just have so a- what I typically do is I'll take like, I'll usually take a, like a tie-dye dress that I have and then I'll paint a peace sign on my cheek and then I'll be a hippie because it's just easy. It's an easy costume that I can throw together in less than two minutes. Just, um, just done. Done. Yeah. yeah. Or I'll wear a, a construction vest. So again, I, it takes like 10 seconds to throw that on and boom, Insta costume. 
Yeah, that's like me. I go to Halloween parties as middle-aged white guy. <laughs> Scare the hell out of people. Um, I'm thinking about doing one of those murder mystery parties this year. You know, where you invite people over. Has anybody done those before? I've always no, wanted to fast. go to one. I've gone to one. It was never. It was a murder mystery, but it was like a dinner theater murder mystery. Oh, not party itself. Oh, like like there were professional actors. Yes. Oh. Yes, and they, there was actually a crime, and you had to, you know. No, I'm talking about who. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? The ones you, you you buy them in a box. You get them in a box? No? No. Yeah, like you buy them. We've done one before. In fact, it's funny. The last time we did one, we we had the, we did we did one on New Year's Eve. And it's funny because we have this friend, Rob. And what happens is you don't know if you're the bad guy or not or the bad lady. You don't know if you're the bad person. And uh, at the beginning, you introduce yourself and you just know all this good stuff about yourself. And then the host has you open to the first act. And during the first act, you learn a little bit about yourself. So you're a little bit scummy, a little slimy, but you learn some serious dirt about other people. And then everybody just kind of sits in a circle and you start talking about each other. Well, Sarah, how come I saw you with so-and-so back behind the drugstore? And you're like, well, uh, and then, and, and so the accusations start flying. And then usually I think after the first act, then you take a break and have like some appetizers. I mean, if you're playing it the suggested way that it says in the thing, and then you do the second act where you find out that other people are even more horrible, but you also find out that you are way more disgusting than you thought at the first, at the first act. And then by the, but, and then you have dinner after the second act. And in the third act, you're like, I am, I swear to God, I'm fairly certain I'm the murderer. Like every person in the room, I'm, I'm fairly certain. Well, you all sit around the table then after the three acts and everybody goes around the table and says who they think did it before, before you actually like play a recording where they tell you who did it. Right. And so, or you open up your, in this particular one, you'd open up your book to the very end and it would say person number one reads, and it was always in a random order. So, you know, Sarah might read first, then Paula reads, then Led reads, and then, and then I read. So we're, we're going around the table before this dramatic finish and we get around to Rob. He's like the third person. Like, I'm like, I think Sarah did it. Paula's up next. She's like, I think Len did it. And here's why. Da, 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 da. It gets to my buddy, Rob. And Rob says, yeah, I did it. And we're like, well, yeah, Rob, we all think that we did it. Like everybody thinks that we did it. So you just choose somebody else. He goes, no, 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 no. I just went to the bathroom and I took my book with me. I am totally the murderer. Yeah. <laughs> ruined, ruined the entire finish of the game. <laughs> Ah, just, just total. And that is so rough. No, no, no. We can just cut to the chase here. I did it. Let's go do something Aww. else. Yeah. But were the appetizers Aww, man. good? Boy, wait, a, wait for him to spoiler alert that one. We have been, that's been, I don't remember how many years ago that was. It's been like six years ago. And everybody that was there that night, like almost every time, if you see Rob now, people, people still say, <laughs> they're like, Hey Rob, you totally did it. <laughs> Rob, you totally did it. You're the murderer. Thank you. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month and I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do 
just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.